Chapter thirty two of Somehow Good. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Helen Taylor, Oxford, UK. Chapter thirty two. How Sally dived off the boat and shocked the beach. Of the sensitive delicacy of the octopus, and of Dr. Everett Gaylor's opinions. Fenwick had been granted, or had appropriated, another week's holiday and the wine-trade was to lose some of his valuable services during that time. Not all, because in these days you can do so much by telegraph. Consequently, the chimney-piece, with the rabbits made of shells on each side, and the model of the dreadnought, with real planks and a companion-ladder that went too far down, and almost serviceable brass carronades ready for action, and a sampler by Mercy Lobjoit, 1763, showing David much too small for the stitches he was composed of, and even Goliath not big enough to have two lips, this chimney-piece soon became a magazine of yellow telegrams, which blew away when the window and door were open at the same time. It was on the second day of Fenwick's days, on this visit, that an unusual storm of telegrams, as he came into breakfast after an early dip in the sea, confirmed the statement in the paper of the evening before, that west and south-west breezes might be expected later. Wind freshening was the phrase in which the forecast threw doubts on the permanency of its recent references to a smooth channel passage. However, faith had already been undermined by current testimony to light easterly winds backing north on the coast of Ireland. Sally was denouncing meteorology as imposture when the returning bather produced the effect recorded. It interrupted a question on his lips as he entered, and postponed it until the telegram papers had all been reinstated and the window closed, so that Mrs. Lobjoit might come in with the hot rolls and eggs and not have anything blown away. Then peace reigned, and the question got asked. "'What are we going to do to-day?' said Sally, repeating it. "'I know what I'm going to do first. I'm going to swim around the buoy.' "'My dear, they'll never put the machines down to-day.' This was her mother. "'They'll do it fast enough if I tell them to. It's half the fun having it a little rough.' "'Well, kitten, I suppose you'll go your own way. Only I shall be very glad when you're back in your machine. Coffee, Jerry?' "'Yes, coffee. In the big cup, with a chip and lots of milk. "'You're a dangerous young monkey, Sarah, and I shall get old Benjamin's boat and hang around, "'and then you'll be happy, eh, Rosie?' "'No, I shan't. We shall have you getting capsized, too. "'I put in three lumps of sugar. No, not little ones, big ones. "'What a thing it is to be connected with aquatic characters. "'Never you mind the mother, Jeremiah. You get the boat. "'I should like it to dive off.' "'All right. I'll get Vereker, and we'll row out. "'The doctor's not bad as an oarsman. "'Bradshaw doesn't make much of it. "'Yes, thanks. Another egg. "'The brown one preferred. Don't know why. "'Yes, I'll get Dr. Conrad, and you shall come and dive off.' "'All which was duly done, "'and Sally got into great disgrace "'by scrambling up into the boat "'with the help of a looped rope hung over the side, "'and was thereafter known to more than one decorous family group "'frequenting the beach as that bold Miss Nightingale. But what did Sally care what those stuffy people thought of her, with such a set-off against their bad opinion, as the glorious plunge down into the depths, and the rushing sea-murmur in her ears, the only sound in the strange green silence, and then the sudden magic of the change back to the dazzling sun on the moving foam, and some human voice that was speaking, when she dived, only just ending off. 
Surely, after so long a plunge down, down, that voice should have passed on to some new topic. For that black and shining mer-pussy, during one deep dive into the underworld of trackless waters, had had time to recollect an appointment with a friend, and had settled in her mind that, as soon as she was once more in upper air, she would mention it to the crew of the boat she had dived from. She was long enough under for that. Then up she came into the rise and fall and ripple overhead, like a sudden Lorelei, and as soon as she could see where the boat had got to, and was free of a long stem of floating weed she had caught up in the foam, she found her voice, and in it, as it rang out in the morning air, was a world of youth and life and hope, from which care was an outcast, flung to the winds and the waves. "'I say, Jeremiah, we've got to meet a friend of yours on the pier this afternoon.' "'Time for you to come out of that water, Sarah.' This name had become nearly invariable on Fenwick's part. "'Who's your friend?' "'A young lady for you. She's going to bring her Dolly to be electrified for a penny. She'll cry if we don't go. So will Dolly.' "'Then we must go, clearly. The doctor must come to see fair, or Dolly may get electrocuted like me.' Fenwick very rarely spoke of his accident now, most likely would not have done so this time, but for a motive akin to his wife's nettle-grasping. He knew Sally would think of it, and would not have her suppose he shirked speaking of it. But the laugh goes for a moment out of the face down there in the water, and the pearls that glittered in the sun have vanished, and the eyes are grave beneath their brows. Only for a moment— then all the Lorelei is back in evidence again, and Sally is petitioning for only one more plunge, and then she really will swim in. The crew protests, but the Lorelei has her way, her sort generally has. "'I always wonder,' says Dr. Conrad, as they row to shore with studied slowness, one must, to keep down to the pace of the swiftest swimmer, I always wonder whether they found that half-crown.' Probably he, too, only says this to accentuate the not-necessarily-to-be-avoided character of the subject. The reason Fenwick answered nothing, but remained thoughtfully silent, was, as Dr. Vereker perceived after he had spoken, that the half-crown was mere hearsay to him, and as such naturally enforced speculation on the strange B.C. period of which he knew nothing. Time did but little to minimise the painful character of such speculations, although it seemed to make them less and less frequent. Vereker said no more, partly because he felt this, partly because he was so engrossed with the Lorelei. He dropped the half-crown. "'You needn't row away yet,' said the voice from the water. "'The machines are miles off. Look here, I'm going to swim under the boat and come up on the other side,' said Fenwick. "'You'll be drowned, Sarah, before you've done. "'Do consider your mother a little,' said the Lorelei. "'All right. Good-bye,' and disappeared. "'She was so long under that it was quite a relief when she reappeared, "'well off the boat's counter, "'for, of course, there was some way on the boat, and Sally made none. "'The crew's eyes had been watching the wrong water over the beam. "'Didn't I do that nicely? Beautifully! "'Yes, I should rather think I did.' "'Good-bye. I must go to my machine. They won't leave it down any longer.' Off went the swimmer, in the highest spirits, and landed with some difficulty, so much had the south-west wind freshened, and the machine started up the beach at a brisk canter to rejoin its many unused companions on their higher level. Dr. Conrad, with the exhilaration of the Lorelei in his heart, 
was to meet with a damper administered to him by his affectionate parent, who had improved immensely in the sea air, and was getting quite an appetite. "'There is nothing, my dear, that I detest more cordially than interference,' said she, after accepting, rather more easily than usual, her son's apologies for coming in late to lunch, and also being distinctly gracious to Mrs. Iggleton about the beefsteak pudding. "'Your father disapproved of it, and the whole of my family. The words, "'Never meddle,' were on their lips from morning till night. Is it wonderful that I abstain from speaking, as I so often do? Whatever I see, I am silent.' And accordingly was, for a few illustrative seconds. But her son, conceiving that the pause was one very common in cases of incipient beefsteak pudding, and really due to kidneys, made an autopsy of the centre of Mrs. Iggledon's masterpiece. But when he had differentiated its contents, and insulated kidneys beyond a doubt, he stood exposed and reproved by the tone in which his mother resumed. "'Not for me. I have oceans. I shall never eat what I have, and it is so wasteful. No, my dear.' "'You ask, what is it, then? But I was going to tell you when you interrupted me.' Here a pause for the universe to settle down to attention. "'There is always so much disturbance, but my meaning is plain. When I was a girl, young women were different. I dare say it is all right. I do not wish to lay myself open to ridicule for my old-fashioned opinions.' "'What is it? I came back early, certainly, because I found the sun so tiring. But surely, my dear, you cannot have failed to see that our front window commands a full view of the bathing machines. But I am silent. Mrs. Iggleton does not understand making mustard. Hers runs.' Dr. Conrad was not interested in the mustard. He was about the cryptic attack on Sally's swimming and diving, which he felt to have been dexterously conveyed in his parents' speech, with scarcely a word really to the point. There was no lack of skill in the goody's method. He flushed slightly, and made no immediate reply, even to a superhumanly meek, "'I know I shall be told I am wrong,' until after he had complied with a requisition for a very little more so small a quantity as to seem somehow to reduce the lady's previous total morally, though it added to it physically, and then he spoke, taking the indictment for granted. "'I can't see what you find fault with. Not Miss Sally's bathing costume, nobody could.' Which was truth itself, for nothing more elegant could have been found in the annals of bathing. And if she has a boat to dive off, somebody must row it. Besides, her mother would object if— but the doctor is impatient and annoyed, a rare thing with him. He treats his beefsteak pudding coldly, causing his mother to say, "'Then you can ring the bell.' However, she did not intend her text to be spoiled by eruptions of Mrs. Iggledon, so she waited until the frequent rice-pudding had elapsed, and then resumed at an advantage. "'You are very snappish and peevish with me now, Conrad, without waiting to hear what I had to say.' but I overlook it. I am your mother. If you had waited, I should have told you that I have no fault whatever to find with Miss Nightingale's bathing dress. It is no doubt strictly en règle, nor can I say in these days what I think of girls practising exercises that in my day were thought unwomanly. 
all is changed now and i am old-fashioned but this i do say that had your father or your great-uncle dr everett gayler been told forty years ago that a time would come when it would be thought no disgrace for an english girl to jump off a boat with an unmarried man in it my dear i am sure the latter would have made one of those acrid and biting remarks for which he was celebrated in his own circle and which have even i believed been repeated to royalty that is the only thing i have to say i say nothing of girls learning to swim and dive i say nothing of their bicycling possibly the young lady who passed the window this morning with a gentleman on the same bicycle was properly engaged to him or his sister even about the practice of sandow or japanese wrestling i have nothing to say but if they are to dive off boats in the open sea in the face of all the beach at least let the boats be rowed by married men that is all i ask it is very little what fools mothers sometimes are about their sons they contrive that these sons shall pass through youth to early manhood without a suspicion that even mothers have human weaknesses then all in a moment just when love has ridden triumphant into the citadel of the boys souls they will sacrifice all all they have won in a lifetime to indulge some petty spleen against the new regime that threatens their dethronement and there is no surer way of undermining a son's loyalty than to suggest a want of delicate feeling in the new queen nothing that can make him question the past so effectually as to force him to hold his nostrils in a smell of propriety puffed into what seems to him a gale from heaven the contrast between the recent mer-pussy in the freshening seas and this as it seemed to him perfectly gratuitous intrusion of moral carbolic acid gave dr conrad a sense of nausea which his love for his mother enjoined ignorance of his mind cast about not for ways of excusing sally the idea but of whitewashing his mother without seeming to suggest that her own mind had anything fessonine about it this is always the great difficulty skywardness has in dealing with the moral scavenger are not the motives of purity unimpeachable goody vereker however did not suspect herself of being a fool on the contrary she felt highly satisfied with her speech and may be said to have hugged its peroration her son flushed slightly and bit his lip giving the old lady time for a corollary in a subdued and chastened voice had i been asked had you consulted me my dear i should certainly have advised that mr fenwick should have been accompanied by another married man certainly not by a young single gentleman the man himself i am referring to the owner of the boat would have done quite well whether married or single boatmen are seldom unmarried although frequently tattooed with ladies names when they have been in the navy you see something to laugh at conrad in your mother but i am used to it the doctor's smile was in memory of two sun-browned arms that had pushed the boat off two hours ago one had eleanor and kate on it the other bessie and a union jack don't you think mother dear 
said the doctor at last, that if Mrs. Fenwick, who knew all about it, had seen anything outrageous, she would have spoken. She really only seemed anxious none of us should get drowned. Very likely, my dear, she would be. You will, I am sure, do me this justice, that I have throughout said from the very beginning that Mrs. Fenwick is a most excellent person, though I have sometimes found her tiring. I am sorry she has tired you. You must always tell her, you know, when you're tired, and then she'll come and fetch me. The doctor resisted a temptation to ask, from the very beginning of what? For the suggestion that materials for laceration were simmering was without foundation, was, in fact, only an example of the speaker's method. She followed it with another. It is so often the case with women who have passed a good deal of time in India. Are women tiring when they have passed a good deal of time in India? My dear Conrad, is it likely I should talk such nonsense? You know perfectly well what I mean. But the doctor merely awaited natural development, which came. Mind, I do not say I believe Mrs. Julius Bradshaw's story, but it would quite account for it, fully. What would account for what? Heaven only knew. However, the speaker was getting the bit in her teeth, and earth would know very soon. Dr. Conrad was conscious at this moment of the sensation which had once made Sally speak of his mamma as an octopus. She threw out a tentacle. And, of course, Mrs. Julius Bradshaw's story may be nothing but idle talk. I am the last person to give credit to mere irresponsible gossip. Let us hope it is ill-founded. Whereupon her son, who knew another tentacle would come and entangle him if he slipped clear from this one, surrendered at discretion. What was Mrs. Julius Bradshaw's story? A most uncandid way of putting it, for the fact was he had heard it all from Sally in the strictest confidence, so the insincerity was compulsory, in a sense. The octopus, who was by this time anchored in her knitting-chair and awaiting her mixture, two tablespoons after every meal, closed her eyes to pursue the subject, but warmed to the chase visibly. "'Are you going to tell me, my dear Conrad, that you do not know what has been said? I vouch for nothing, remember, that Miss Nightingale's mother was divorced from her father twenty years ago in India?' "'I don't think it's any concern of yours or mine.' but having said this, he would have liked to recall it and substitute something else. It was brusque, and he was not sure that it was a fair way of stating the case, especially as this matter had been freely discussed between them in the days of their first acquaintance with Sally and her mother. Dr. Conrad felt mean for renegading from his apparent admission at the time that the divorce was an affair they might properly speculate about. Mrs. Vereker knew well that her son would be hard on himself for the slight unfairness, and forthwith climbed up to a pinnacle of flawless rectitude for his confusion. "'My dear, it is absolutely none. Am I saying that it is? People's past lives are no affair of ours. Am I saying that they are?' "'Well, no.' "'Very well, then, my dear. Listen to what I do say, and do not misrepresent me. What I say is this. 
"'Are you sure Perkins has mixed this medicine the same as the last? "'The taste is different. "'Now listen. "'What I say is, and I can repeat it any number of times, "'that it is useless to expect sensitiveness on such points under such circumstances. "'I am certain that your father, or your great-uncle, Dr. Everett Gayler, "'would not have hesitated to endorse my opinion "'that on the broad question of whether a girl should or should not "'dive off a boat rowed by an unmarried man, "'no one is less likely to form a correct judgment "'than a lady who was divorced from her husband twenty years ago in India. "'But I say nothing against Mrs. Fenwick. "'She is, so far as she is known to me, "'an excellent person and a good wife and mother. "'Now, my dear Conrad,' I must rest, for I fear I have talked too much. Poor Prosy! All the edge of his joy of the morning was taken off. But never mind, it would very soon be Sally herself again, and his thirsty soul would be drinking deep draughts of her at the pier-end, where the appointment was to be kept with the young lady and her dolly. End of chapter 32